This is Will Ford from Football 365, and you're listening to At the Bridge Pod, a Chelsea FC podcast. What's up, everyone? You're listening to At the Bridge Pod, a Chelsea FC podcast, your number one source for all things Chelsea. Continuing the Christmas vibes, we're going to be taking a look back at the career of our beloved number 25, Gianfranco Zola, the original magician who came from Sardinia and won all our hearts. Now, here are your hosts all the way from the UK, Mikey Berth and Chris. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of At the Bridge Pod. I am your host, Mikey, and today I'm joined by two very feeling festive co-hosts, I think, maybe, I don't know. Uh, Berth and Chris, how are we doing today? Yeah, I'm really good. And yes, I'm feeling very festive. I love Christmas. It's the best time of the year. I know it's cliche, but it really is. I love it. Most Chris, wonderful time. Well, most <laughs> wonderful time, of course. Of course. Chris, how are you doing? I feel you're not as Christmassy as me, but I might be wrong. Uh, I'm indifferent about Christmas. I don't I don't mind it. I've got kids and I, so it's good for them. Um, I like to see how they react to Christmas, but I'm not a huge fan myself. Wow. Well, someone, someone's a Grinch. For, for the guy, for, well, you've both got it, but you, you considering you've both got the Chris in Christmas, you know, put the put the Chris into Christmas. That's what I'm saying. You know, it, just a, a little story before we begin. I Go actually, for it. When I was a kid, I um, when I was about five or six, when I was just able to write, I actually used to write, I tried to write Christopher, but I stopped after the T. So a lot of my relatives got a, uh, a card from Christ. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! That's pretty good. That's a good way to start the pod. So, so with that, let, let's head straight into the newsroom and see what the latest goings on are at Stamford Bridge. So, as always, it's we're going to be taking a look back at our previous week's games. There were two. There seems to be two all the time at the moment. And uh, the first one was Spygate Derby. Kovacic, Werner, can he make this one count? Looks for Pulisic. That's it. The counter-attack kills off Leeds United and propels Chelsea to the top of the Premier League. So Spygate Derby ended in a Chelsea 3-1 victory. Um Chelsea and Leeds, the, the reignition of one of the most fiercest rivalries in English football. And, you know, we were not left disappointed at all on Saturday night. Chelsea went briefly top of the table with, like I said, 3-1 victory. Um, may not have been the 1970 FA Cup final that Berth and I reviewed a few few episodes back. But um, how was that game for you guys? Yeah, it was good. Um, I was a bit worried when Leeds went one it up to feel like Leeds... When they go ahead, they are a tricky team to beat. I just feel that they've got the legs, they've got the energy, and once they go one nil up, it's hard to, to catch them, really. But I thought we did really, really well. Defensively, I thought we were very good after the goal. And I think going forward, we were equally as good. Um, I know we missed a few chances. It could have been five or six, but I thought all round is a very professional performance against a very good team. Great to see Bamford score his first goal at Stamford Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? Fair play to him. He's actually proved me wrong a bit because... I was one of the doubters that thought he could just not do it in the Premier League. And to be fair, he's having Bielsa a season. Bielsa has got the best out of him and he is doing really, really well. So fair play to him. You always want to see an ex-Chelsea player do well. Yeah, for sure. Chris, what were your thoughts on that game? Uh, I thought we started really poorly first sort of 25 minutes. I was actually quite concerned because we we wasn't dealing with the Leeds camp very well. I thought it was 
as defensively out of shape as we've looked for a while. But then once we start sort of got a feel into the game, we defended we defended them really well then. I mean we restricted them to very few chances after that. Uh we created a few chances, we missed a few chances. I thought some of our decision making in the final third could have been better. But overall, I mean, for a game which was a really strange game because I didn't enjoy watching the game because it was that sort of game where Leeds are just a really unpredictable team to play against. Mm, I thought yeah. it was a really good result. And I particularly liked the fact that this season we're scoring the sort of goals that title winners score. It's like, a good, yeah. The curse sure. header. Last season, we didn't score a lot from set pieces. We haven't done for the past sort of four years. But uh, yeah. this season, from set pieces, it, it's the difference between drawing those games and winning them. And we are starting to score a lot of them goals. And I'm not saying we're going to win the title, but that is what title winners do. Yeah, I mean, even when we made that defensive error, and it was an error, we don't see them too often, thankfully, now. But, you know, it led to Bamford scoring his, obviously, his first Premier League goal at the bridge. You know, I said in the group chat, I wasn't really that worried. I mean, it's a great feeling as a fan. Maybe I'm just an idiot and naive, but I was thinking we're going to, we're going to battle back here. We're creating the chances. You know, we've got a very good strike force. We've got a good front line, and just because that's how Leeds play, they play end to end. That's kind of it's great to watch the neutral. But yeah, I always thought we'd get back into the game. And you know, Olivier Giroud, he, he's the king, the expert at being in the right place at the right time. And it was a lovely finish for that equaliser. And you, you could see him yet again becoming the, the prominent focal point of our attack as we head into the Christmas period of games, in my opinion. It's, it, he's, he's really proven himself when you expect him to be pretty much finished at the club and he's going to be leaving. And then he just comes straight to the front again and you think, this guy is going to be leading us this season whether it's for a title challenge or not. I mean, we're up there and washed are up there. We're over 10 games into the season now. That's when I like to look at the table and think, what's going down here? And we're up there. And another another top performer, Mason Mount, you know, he must be one frustrating player for the opposition. You know, the crossfield pass that they tried, Leeds did at, near the end, where we had players overloading on the one flanked, flank. It looked like they had finally broke free from pressure. And then Mount screaming in, full throttle, and he snuffed it out for a throw. And that, for me, is like insane levels of not only determination, but incredible stamina. This is like the 90th minute. He's played 90 minutes in that intensity. You know, wow. I mean, many eyes will turn to Rhys James as a future captain. For me, I think Mason Mount. I, I really do. Especially as well, because he's good with the media as well. I don't know what you guys think there. Yeah, I, I totally agree with it. I think I might have said a couple of episodes ago that I can see Mason Mount being a future Chelsea captain. I think at the minute, he's, he's probably the most complete number eight in the Premier League, you could argue, at the moment, especially on form. I, I think he he's just brilliant. It really baffles me how people don't rate Mason Mount. I think he's got the passing ability. He's got the finishing. He gets up and down. He, he's such an intelligent player for such a young, young guy. And there are weaknesses to his game. I think sometimes he can maybe lack that killer ball in, in the final third. Sometimes, sometimes he can prove that he can do it. I think he can score more goals than he does, but he is going to be a top, top talent. I think he will be absolutely world-class in a few years' time if he's not there already at the moment. Yeah, I, I think he's been one of our most consistent players this season in the fact as well that he just plays every game and he, he plays the whole game, every game. And in a season where people keep talking about fatigue and players looking tired, he never seems to. He just seems to love being on the pitch, which I think is a massive 
help to him and the team that he has that enthusiasm for every game. So I definitely see him as, as a future Chelsea captain without a doubt. It's 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 interesting. Obviously, he's quite young to even be thinking a captain, but you know, when, especially when you see he's doing media duties, that always shows a good level of. That's part of the job, you know. When you're captain, you represent the team, you represent the club, and he's he's doing well. And you know that determination. We spoke in previous episodes about his statistics. He might not get twenty goals and assists a season, but there's other stuff to his game that is incredible. Another thing that was quite incredible, you know, the fans, wow, 2,000 lucky supporters got to see their first taste of this new Chelsea side. And honestly, throughout the 90 minutes, I could have easily believed it was 10,000 plus. I mean, the atmosphere was electric. The support was loud. It was great to have them back. You know, (laughs) the fake crowd noise, it's nothing compared to the sarcastic cheering as Diego Llorente receives the ball over and over. And you could see it got under his skin. (laughs) Yeah, it was great to see the fans back. And I'm sure that you both agree that the support there was incredible on uh, Saturday. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's good to see football fans back across the country, really, not just at Stamford Bridge. Because I know Chelsea have missed them. I know other teams have missed them as well. And yeah, I mean, the atmosphere was incredible considering it was 2,000 people. I think it was the night that Diego Lorente would want to forget. But I think for <laughs> the Chelsea players, I think it was a brilliant moment for them just to see their fans and to give them a win. Uh, it's just an incredible feeling to see fans back and sort of football getting slightly back to normal. Yeah. Chris? Yeah, hopefully it'll just be more over the next few months they can increase the numbers because seeing these 60,000-seater stadiums with only 2,000 people in and then you see 4,000-seater stadiums with 2,000 people in just doesn't make any sense. So yeah. I think there's definitely, when you see how well it's done, especially at Premier League level, how well and safe it's done, there's there's definitely scope to, to scale that up. Yeah. And, in the new year, they can get, you know, 10,000 people in. As, as our American listeners may or may not know, with the UK, obviously, it's well known. We've got the vaccine going out. It's fantastic news for, well, for everyone, really. But obviously, it's a day-by-day thing. You know, you don't know whether the, the infection rate's going up, it's going down. Will the, We've obviously got a tier system. Will London then go into tier three? There's talk. Of, you just don't know. It, it Every day is a new day. <laughs> so cliche, but it's true. We don't know what's going to happen. But fingers crossed, things start to pick up in a positive for both health and going forward. So we'll have to see. Um, The Champions League group stage concluded this week uh, as we ended our group campaign with a home game against Krasnodar. Here tonight, the final whistle goes. Frank Lampard's side frustrated on what was, frankly, a low-key night at Stamford Bridge. Everything had been decided pre-match, but the fans have enjoyed coming back and seeing Champions League football again. 17 unbeaten it is now for Chelsea. Well, it was a dead rubber game. Chelsea knew they would finish top. Krasnodar knew they'd finish third. And it played out just as we expected. It it was a 1-1 draw in the end. Goals, they came from former Newcastle player Remy Cabela. And a hop, skip and a Bruno Fernandes-style jump penalty from Jorginho meant we finished on 14 points. What were the thoughts on the game? And let's go mainly Billy Gilmore, our Scottish Iniesta stroke Javi hybrid. For me, like Billy Gilmore is absolutely incredible. I think, I mean, I know it's a big shout already considering he's so young, but I honestly think he's just, he reads the game really well. Um, his passes is so clever. Um, he's always looking to pass forward as well, which I think can sometimes be a knock on Jorginho that he doesn't always pass forward quickly enough. I think Billy Gilmore always seems to be in the right place at the right time, which is perfect for a midfielder, really. I think he took risks in the game the other day and, and, and they paid off. I think 
and you compare his performance to Andrewin's. I think Andrewin played really well. I don't think he did anything wrong at all. But I think Andrewin played as if he didn't want to annoy anyone by how he played. He just wanted to play the safe pass. He wanted to sort of dribble when he could and, and then sort of lay a teammate half. He, he wasn't selfish enough. Whereas I think compared to Billy Gilmore, I think Gilmore always looked to sort of take risks, take the game by the scruff of the neck. You know, if there's a shot that needed to be taken, he took the shot. You know, if he needs to dribble past someone, he dribbled past someone. And I think Billy Gilmore, like Mason Mount, will go straight to the very top. Chris? Yeah, I agree with that. I think he was the one sort of positive that come out of a really, really drab game that it was played like a game that meant nothing, which you can understand. But the disappointing thing for that, from my point of view, was some of those players was getting a chance to show Lampard why they could be pushing for a first-team place. And most of them just did not take that opportunity at all. I thought Emerson was, had an absolute shocker at left-back. And I praised him a couple of weeks ago when he played well. But he was awful on Tuesday night. Um, Billy Gilmore, though, he, he, he was the best player on the pitch. And he looked like... He plays like an experienced player. I think that's the biggest compliment you can give him. He doesn't look like a young player playing in the game. He, he looks like one of the more experienced players. I thought his performance was outstanding. I do agree with what Berth said. I do like the fact he's always looking to pass forwards. And he played a slightly different role, didn't he? He's like a number eight, which he hasn't really yeah. played before. He looks really good at that. So it shows that he's versatile as well, which I think will really help him in terms of getting into our midfield. But I wouldn't be shocked if, come the end of the season, he's in and around knocking on the door of that, that first-team midfield spot as competitive as it is. Yeah, I mean... I do think I, I do. I, I chuckled. There was a if, if anyone follows Footy Accumulators on Twitter, they have a, had a tweet that go went viral again, and it was um, from a few years ago. Fair play, three years has changed a lot, and it was Chelsea agree five hundred thousand pound deal to sign Rangers fifteen year old Billy Gilmore, and they went half an effing million for a fifteen year old. It looks pretty good business. Of course, it can go one or two ways, and unfortunately, those sort of tweets they get brought up. But yeah, he looks he looks a special talent and it's so great to see him come back from injury and carrying on being just incredible. You know, there were so many positives as well. You know, on the Gilmore thing, before I move on, you know, Krasnodar kept trying to close him down and each time he just released the ball at the perfect time. He was two steps ahead of those players. And for that age, you've got to start thinking we could have a special, special kid here that could replace your Gino. Who knows? He... He could be our first team player next year, and he'd only be like 19 then. So, wow. As, as well, I, I know people are going to make the point that I oh, was only against Krasnodar. Fair wow. point. But Jorginho did this last, uh, not Jorginho, Billy Gilmore did this last season against Fabinho, who you could argue is the best holding midfielder in the world at the minute. So, it's not like he hasn't proven that he can do it against the top teams. It, Billy Gilmore is a very, very clever, intelligent, world class prodigy at the moment. Yeah, um, and the thing is, everyone's probably seen the tweets about each debut he's made, whether it was his league, his FA Cup, etc. debut, and he won man of the match. It could be a, mm. you could go, oh, it's just a what? Who knows? It's a, it's not a bad thing to have on your resume. It really isn't. But overall, with the game, you know, no injuries. That's a checkbox. Champions League debuts for obviously Gilmore and Faustino Andurin. Fantastic. Sixty minutes for Havertz. Um, it's seventeen games unbeaten for us in all competitions. Overall, good game, good day. You know, we knew it meant nothing, but who, who cares? We've we've got top of the group, and I still really want to draw Barcelona. Next time you hear from us, listeners, obviously we'll know the draw because it's coming up on the Monday. I'm really excited for it. I, I we'll probably get not we'll probably get Atletico, but you know, 
you've got to beat the best to carry on this competition. Do you have any particular teams you want to draw yet, guys? I think Barcelona would be a good one. I'd, like I said a couple of podcasts ago, I, I wouldn't fear anyone if I was Chelsea. I definitely wouldn't fear Barcelona. There are a few teams that you want to avoid, but I don't think Barcelona is one of them. So just bring them all on. <laughs> yeah, I, to be honest, I'd play I'd play any of them, but the the only team I would want to avoid if you if I had to pick one would be Atletico Madrid because yeah. they yeah. do a job on you like they did to Liverpool last season. So, but aside from that, I think all the others are beatable. Yeah. So with that, we're going to be back to talk our main topic after this. For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. Never miss a match with live commentary, goal alerts, lineups, in-game stats and TV and radio links for over 100 leagues globally. Download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play. Welcome back, listeners. Now, we are less than two weeks away from the 25th. There's a clue. Uh, Christmas Day. And this week, we are looking at a player who brought not only the magic that the festive season can bring, but also who wore that number 25 jersey for the Blues. You know, he arrived at Chelsea at the grand age of 30 years old and he took the league, the club and all our hearts, let's be honest, by storm. Listeners, we are talking Gianfranco Zola. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant goal by Zola. This is Zola, just looking for that space. Oh, that's a special goal. With Zola, lovely footwork from him. He dances through. And Manchester United were totally bewildered by Gianfranco Zola. Now, as always, here at At The Bridge Pod, we credit our sources. And this week, we're going to be citing a fantastic article written by John Nicholson, which you can find on Football 365. So without further ado, let's get into the career of the Italian. Um, he was signed by Rude Hullet for four and a half million. Now, at the age of 30, you would you'd never expect a player in the autumn of his career to become a club legend, let's be fair. But from 1996, he would stay for seven wonderful years and he would depart in the summer of 03, just as the new era at Chelsea was starting under Roman Abramovich. He played 311 games and scored a nice round total of 80 goals. And he departed for Cagliari, despite Roman Abramovich offering him a new deal. And that was because he had a gentleman's agreement with the Italian club, which is a true gent for sure. What are your memories, guys, of Gianfranco? Just a lovable character around Chelsea Football Club. I mean, he's the reason why I support Chelsea. Well, he's one of the reasons why I support Chelsea. I mean, growing up, he was always my favourite player. I mean, he's so graceful to watch. His, his ball control was absolutely second to none. And he, he played football the way everyone should, with a smile on their face. You know, when he got kicked, he'd, he'd always get back up and, and carry on playing the way he did. He'd score really good goals, which is always good. So skillful, so graceful, and just... Yeah, just he was just Gianfranco, and I think he was easy to warm to. Yeah, I agree. Lovely character, really nice guy off the pitch as well. Unbelievable magician on the pitch. I think he's he's one of them players which you just you, you pay to watch because he can do something in a game that no one else on the pitch can do. And I think that's that's why he he's so fun fondly remembered at Chelsea because I mean people always throw back his goals return when you're talking about how good he was because everyone looks stats now. But I think he was he was so much more than what stats show you. And he, he was one of them players who he, he'd do something in a game and that would be the, the memory you'd have of that game. Yeah, I think for sure. Players are special. 
I mean, he certainly falls under the category for me of a player that everyone loved. I mean, naturally for me, my memory, well, the memory that sticks out the most will always be his 2002 goal against Norwich. You know, it showcased his brilliance, his talent, his magic. And it, what you, you know what it is, listeners. It, it was the back heel into the net from a corner. It, it, perfection, perfection. And, you know, let's not forget his free kick against Spurs during the fine, final season at the bridge. You know, it cannot be forgotten. It's, it's a beauty into the top corner and it secured a point for the Blues. And remember that final season he had with us, which without his 14 league goals, which he was the top scorer for the season, may I add, he, he would not, we, we would not have secured top four status. And, of course, that meant Roman's attention, Champions League club after all. You know, Zola's goals throughout that campaign were crucial in one-goal margin victories we had over Charlton, Blackburn, Sunderland. Irrelevant of how good those teams were, you take Zola's goals away from them key games, we're not top four. Did that, would that have meant that Roman wouldn't have bought the club? Likely. And we could be talking a completely different, you know, it's a what-if scenario, sliding doors, we could have been bankrupt, who, who knows? Um, easily one of the most creative and talented players he is the Premier League has ever seen. You know, he was also incredible on set pieces. You know, you'd often see him bury a free kick into the top corner and would often be trusted with spot kick duty. You know, very rarely did he let you down from the spot. Now, an interesting stat or more fact I'll bring up is that Diego Maradona gave Zola the number 10 shirt before a game to show his faith in a player that he saw as his protege. Now, going back to his early days, he didn't start playing top flight football till he was 23. And he spent his early years at Serie Seaside's Nuoresi, probably got that wrong, and Torres. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, not, not great with pronunciations. Um, Zola, he, you know, he played with Maradona at Napoli and he departed for Parma in 93, where he would win the UEFA Cup and he stood out with 47 goals in 94 matches. How do you feel this sort of showcased Zola's talent, but just his personality to be such a key piece in a a Palmer side that would be an insanely talented Juventus side. I mean, it just shows how sort of, how well respected, how well people thought of him, really. I mean, there's no doubt he was a world-class talent wherever he went. Everyone loved him. Um, and the best players I always find are the ones that make the game look easy. And, and he did just make it look easy wherever he went, whether it was Italy, whether it was England, anywhere. He just made everything look so easy. And that's why you can just warm to a player. It's like Hazard when he was at Chelsea. He just strolled across the pitch. He never really looked like he was putting 110%, but he was so good, no one could get near him. And Zola was exactly the same. And that's why people trusted him, and that's why people liked him and, and thought fondly of him, because he was just so good. Yeah, I think it shows a strong mentality as well to almost play without fear, even though... You know, you've still got a lot to prove at that stage in his career, especially starting so late. You could, you'd think he'd be more like a, a Jamie Vardy type who puts in a hundred percent effort to prove that he should be there, but just didn't seem to play like that. He, he just he, he played like like a kid in the park, and I think that's that's what fans love to see. They love to see footballers who can do things without even trying. And that you know, it's it, it's a good mentality to have to be that sort of laid back and relaxed about. You know what are massive games in your career, but they don't seem to affect players like like Zola. Mm, yeah, I mean that that Juventus side that they beat to win the UEFA Cup in '95. It had the likes of these are prime players as well. You had Viali, Ravanelli, Deschamps, Baggio, Souza, a very young Del Piero. You know these are all iconic 
you'd argue, legendary names in their own right. And um, this Juventus side had already got their hands on the Serie A and the Coppa Italia at this point. So winning this final would have been a, a tasty treble. But Zola and co made sure it wasn't to be. And, you know, OK, they got the Coppa Italia after this. So they didn't quite have it. They didn't have the treble at that point on them. But, you know, you could argue Juventus may have got the ultimate revenge for, well, beating Parma in the Coppa Italia the month later. But UEFA Cup, it's, a, it's more special than a, a league sort of competition I'd argue but former former blue Scott Minto he told Sky Sports about Zola at the bridge and it was he said that it wasn't until he arrived and you saw him on the training pitch that you suddenly realized you were in the presence of something special his first touch I've never seen anything like it and I think that's it you know his first he was a mat he was just effortless everything was effortless and it was a it was an absolute beauty to what an honor to watch you know he, he didn't join Chelsea until November of 96, and he, he made his debut in the, the 13th game of the season. But he finished the season just a goal shy of being Chelsea's top scorer in all competitions. And he claimed the Football Writers Association Player of the Year. Now, he's the only player in the 71-year history of the award to have won it, having moved mid-season. And one of only two players to have claimed it in his debut campaign, which Jurgen Klinsmann was the other. Now, we have to talk about his time at Napoli. Unfortunately, financial difficulties hit the Neapolitan outfit following Maradona's departure when it was obviously the drugs ban. Now, that meant they had to sell their best players to survive. But Zola's time in Naples, he he was part of this Maradona-Napoli side that lifted the 89-90 Serie A title. And he was an important part of that side. Only a bit part player at first, but he played his part well. You know, he's he's a legend to Chelsea, you know, as a football club because... He brought silverware in the manner of two FA Cups and he was key to Chelsea becoming a team that you could say the fans would be proud of. A team others maybe not feared, but certainly took more serious after the decades we were yo-yoing and mid-tapes obscurity. You know, and a lot of it was down to the five foot six wizard wearing that number 25. His wizardry certainly helped our status and brought Roman's eyes, as I said earlier, to Stamford Bridge. Hence why Abramovich offered him that new deal. Uh, guys, how do you look back at his legacy at the club? You know, what, what do you think changed during his time at the club? I think it was sort of, in a way, you almost wanted him to be a part of the Mourinho side because he was so good. He kind of wish he was at Chelsea or he was 10 years younger so Mourinho would buy him. Um, but having said that, he was, you'd have, he'd have to go down as one of the best players to ever play for Chelsea. I know he he was there when it weren't the most successful. We still won trophies. Um, so we fought, first started to get back into sort of prominence. So he's almost a catalyst, really, for sort of his successful period at Chelsea Football Club. And I, I don't think he should ever get overlooked, really. Like you said, he caught the eye of Roman Abramovich. And I'm sure he caught the eye of many of players, you know, that came to Chelsea after that. I mean, you look at players like Desailly and, you know, all the Italians that have come. Casaraghi came, who was supposed to be really good. And then, unfortunately, injury played a part. These players wouldn't have come if it weren't for Zola and how good he was. So he, he had a he had a real big part in our success leading up to our sort of Roman era era really. So I don't think he should ever be overlooked, and I think he should be considered one of the the biggest impacts in Chelsea from a player I've ever seen. Chris, yeah, I'd agree with that. I think a lot of people forget that the sort of the Roman era was built on a pretty solid foundation before he bought the club and. Zola was a massive part of that. You know, everything that Abramovich has helped the club achieve since, I don't think could have happened if it wasn't for players like Zola. And, 
you know, when we spoke about Banieri and that as well, that team yeah. just before Abramovich took over, if they didn't achieve what they did, you know, because you know, you've got to think before that we was we was we was a mid-table club. We was you know tenth to eighth, and then players like Zola they helped transform us into a team that was challenging for those European places. So, you know, that can't be understated. It, we have to almost remember sometimes that a lot of the success the club's having now is because of players way before Abramovich took over. I think he, it's not just that, I think he, he was also, you know, you could argue he was a major part in the change of sort of English football. Because you think when he come over, it, the, the Premier League especially was still very uh, physical. It was about tall, strong players, a lot of crosses, balls in the air. And you look at Zola and you, you think he doesn't fit English football. Like now we have a lot of the small sort of more technical players, but back then England didn't really have those sort of players playing in our league. So, you know, he was sort of a trailblazer in that way as well that showed that, you know, those sort of technical, technically gifted players could succeed in what was considered then an, an incredibly physical league. Yeah. Sure. Uh, uh, you know what? I, sorry to interrupt. I think he was absolutely spot on with that. I think Zola, Viali, Hullet, Poyet, those sorts of players, and obviously Viali was manager, so was Hullet. They sort of changed the landscape of English football and the fact that, you know, a lot of English teams were sort of full of just English players, whereas Chelsea almost changed that. It was almost a running joke at the time that, oh, Chelsea have already got any English players. And that might have been the case, but the style of the Premier League almost changed from that Chelsea team. And I think you look at the Premier League now, that Chelsea era was almost the catalyst to start that sort of change in like, different teams. You know, most teams now haven't got more than three or four English players in. But that for that Chelsea team, most teams were just English players or British players. So that Chelsea team is very, very influential on how the Premier League's changed. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Chelsea were in a, a difficult place financially at the time. And, you know, we could have, as I said, could have gone under as a club without his talent getting us through to the cup finals and further into competitions. And, and it brings money in that way. Let, you know, especially nowadays, we're talking more about how important the fans are, not just for the atmosphere, the support, but the financial reward. OK, maybe TV rights sort of, obliterate that aspect for are obviously the top tier leagues but you know back then very different different ball game um yeah it is it's very true you know we were very close to going bankrupt and one day i'm sure we may just cover that but obviously not today but i do wish he'd stayed for at least one more year and played alongside those iconic players that we picked up in that first season but you know as a gent i respect he kept his word and he headed to cagliari and he, he had agreed that deal and fair play to him. He turned down a huge wage as well to go. So that says a lot about him. Um, his post-playing career as a manager has been quite interesting for sure. I mean, he's been at West Ham, Watford, Birmingham City, and more recently he was Sarri's assistant at Chelsea. Uh, his tenure at Birmingham was uh, quite dreadful. His time at Watford, not, not too bad. Um, all Not all top-quality players do become top-quality managers, as we know. Perhaps Zola could be more suited as a top-class coach. Where do you think we're going to see him pop up next in his post-playing career, guys? I think I think you're right. I think maybe manager is in his role, but I think he could do a very good job as an assistant manager or another sort of coach, maybe an attacking coach in some sense. But I do think manager's role is probably a bit too much for him. I, I don't think he's, that's the right role for him, to be honest. So, yeah, I, I think he'd be a very good coach because he is a very intellectual man you know he knows his stuff technically very good i'm sure he could still do a job in any football team even though he's 
he's going on a bit now. But yeah, I think a coach is the right role for him. Yeah, Joe, you know, I've got a theory about managers that the more technically gifted and naturally talented a player is, the worse they'll be as a manager because they because they've always had it come naturally to them. Maybe they don't know how to get that across when other players can't do the things that they can do. There's not mm. many like there's not many players of that ilk that go on to be top class managers. Most most of the top managers in the world was either defensive players or players who had technical ability, but they also had to work hard. So I think Zola would be a great attacking coach or an assistant manager, because I think he's very good with players. I think his man management would be really good. So assistant manager, yes, but I don't think he should ever go into management again. I just don't think he's got the personality for it. Yeah, I can Agreed. understand your logic there. I, I really can. You know, we, we'll end this with a, a simple statement. Wherever Zola played, he won trophies from Napoli to Parma to Chelsea to Cagliari. But more than that, he, he won our hearts. And for me, you, you can't really put a price on that. So we've got questions. We do have a question. And it's from Jamie. And you can find him at Jamie12608677 on Twitter. Uh, and he asks, if Tottenham have a dodgy December and fall a few places, and with Liverpool having all their injuries, do you think we will have a good chance of winning the league? And then he adds on, have Werner and Havertz proved their prices yet? I'll answer the first question first. I, th I think people are talking about Tottenham at the moment, and rightfully so, they are in the top of the league. But I don't know why we aren't getting the same praise that Tottenham are, because we've pretty much been just as good, and we are right in it at the moment, and I think we will be to the very end if we keep going. So, if we stay consistent, if Thiago Silva stays fit, if Edward Mendy stays fit, I think we'll be very much up there, whether Liverpool or Tottenham have a bad spell or not, I still think we'll be up there come the end of the season. Havertz and Werner, I think Werner has. I know he has missed a few chances recently, but I think what's so good about Timo Werner is, and I put this on Twitter the other day, if he misses a few, he won't go missing in the game like a certain Alvaro Morata would. And to be fair, Torres did at times as well when he missed a few. Werner would use his pace, get back into the game, and either assist the goal or he'll score again. I mean, you look at Leeds... He missed a few chances, but then very last minute, he ran clean from goal, set up Pudisic and we scored. So I think Bernard is definitely much proving it. I still think he'll score loads of goals as well this season. Havertz, tremendous talent. I still think he's getting up to speed with the Premier League. I don't think he's proved his worth yet, but I think he will. I just think you've got to give him a bit more time because he's still developing as a football player and as a person. But I think he'll be a very, very big player for Chelsea Football Club in the next coming years. Yeah, in terms of the first part of the question, I think I was I was getting quite excited about a sort of a title, an actual title race this year in the league. Whether we was in it or not, I think we will be. But whether we was in it or not, it was, was going to be better. I thought Liverpool would struggle with all their injuries, but they do keep winning games. I mean, they beat Wolves, and you know, when you look at when you look at the team they've got, oh, they shouldn't be beating Wolves four 0 So. I can't look past Liverpool for the title. I think we'll be up there challenging, but Liverpool are, are managing to get through a really sticky period and still pick up convincing wins. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree though. The Werner, I think, I think we have to start judging Timo Werner differently. I think when we brought him in, we was our expectations of him was as a as a centre forward, and he's not playing there. He's playing as a winger. So I do think we have to alter our expectations in terms of the amount of goals. And we need to start looking at his assists as well. 
and his goal contributions have actually been really good. So I, yeah. I do think Werner's proved to be a, a top signer. In terms of Havertz, I think he's a great player to watch. I really enjoy watching him play. But I would like to see... He seems to have altered his game completely from what he was doing at Leverkusen. I rarely see him in the penalty area. So I would like to see more of that from him. I think he will be a top player over the next five years or more. But then, after yeah. that, as it stands at the minute, I think he's still got a lot to prove. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, if... I think if top, I don't, I'm, I'm not 100% convinced on Tottenham just yet. But if they do have that dodgy set December, I, I still think it's going to be Chelsea and Liverpool for the title. I, I, that's mad to say. I think Spurs will drop off. I could be proven wrong. And if, if I'm proven wrong, fair play to them and Mourinho because, you know, clearly they've kept, they're not doing a Spurs, so to speak. But I, st- I think realistically, it is Liverpool would be the challenging front on it. It's difficult. It's a it's a mad season, and we don't know what twists and turns are gonna gonna come up, and injuries as well. Huge, huge importance how they play a part. Werner and Havertz. It's a good point. Werner, yeah, agree with what you said, Chris. He, we've got to judge him differently. He's, he he may end up scoring those twenty goal campaigns, but at the moment he's contributing to the team. He's running. He's he's pressing. He's he's showing passion. He's showing determination. It, I love to see it, and I'm sure he's going to start scoring more goals than just setting them up. Havertz, Havertz is he's not playing in the position he was at Leverkusen. So I, I tend to feel it's a bit unfair for me to judge him on that. When he starts playing in the proper position, then yes, that's the time to judge. But at the moment, you would argue that no, he hasn't justified the price tag. But he's young, adapting. we just got to wait and see. And again, yeah. go on, Chris. I, I, I've got a question. Where, where would you say his best position is? Oh, I, I I still think he's good in that cam role, but Leverkusen played him all across the front three, so he's it's so difficult. It, it's so so difficult. I think was he best on the right when he was at Leverkusen? I can't remember where he played on that. I'm trying to think when I saw him um, post lockdown, Havertz's his positioning. Really should look this up actually. I think he you know he is a clever footballer. I think he, it's good that he's versatile because he can play anywhere. Well, other than obviously in defence. But for me, I think he is probably best as a number eight getting up and down. But I agree with Chris. He does need to get into the box more. He needs to make those sort of late runs into the box like he did at Leverkusen. I yeah. think him and Mount doing that, that becomes really hard for defences. And I think it almost at points becomes unplayable, especially with his touches and his, his height. He can become a real asset playing as a number eight, running from deep. I think that's where his best position will be going forward. I, I, yeah, think... I think so, actually. With with Zayek and um, Pulisic maybe being injured, I'd like to see him played on the right because that's where yeah. he played the other night against Arsenal, and I thought he was actually really good. So I'd like to see him play there while Zayek is injured. But I do agree with Berth. I think if you're going to play as an under eight, you have to make runs beyond the centre forward. Yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, he's got so far eight goal involvements in 15 games, which isn't too bad. That you know, at the time of recording, so. It's 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 quite decent return. You know, you want more, and I'm sure he'll he'll show that talent. So so with that, we, we've come to the end of another episode of At the Bridge Pod. It's time for the social media plug. Where can we find you both on the socials? Chris, would you like to go first this week? Yes, why not? Uh, <laughs> on Twitter, I'm at Chris zero nine Adams, and on Twitter, I'm at Chris Burford. And you can find myself on Twitter and Instagram as that redhead dude. But for all things at the Bridge Pod, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for at the Bridge Pod. You can drop us that like, follow, keep up to date on all things Chelsea. And until next time, listeners, that is us signing off. <laughs>